Well, welcome to a 20-minute spot in your week where you get to, uh, I guess, listen to questions that you may have asked yourself over the years. It is LifeWords Q&A, and to help us answer some questions and talk about life and faith, David Ray joins us each week. G'day, David. G'day, Andrew. I love this. I love asking questions, David, and I love listening to your answers and just sort of stimulating thoughts and, and, and ideas, and, and often we we come at the end of our conversations with more questions, but hey, isn't that the life, our, our, our Christian walk, our Christian life? Indeed, it is. We're always growing, yeah. uh, and to ask questions is, is an absolutely vital part of growing as a normal human being as well as a follower of Jesus, yeah. So let's ask the first question, and it's uh, different Christian friends tell me different things about having a quiet time. I try to have one each day, but others tell me it's not necessary. So how important is a quiet time? Well, first of all, I mean, for those of you who might not understand exactly what a quiet time is, it's part of this this sort of Christian in-talk, I suppose. A quiet time is a, a set time in the day where we pray to God and usually read the Bible as well. And it's been part of Christian tradition over the years. Uh, certainly in the years where I was growing up is that you were always urged to have a quiet time. That is, to spend time, usually at the beginning of the day, praying and reading the Bible and then going off to do what you would otherwise do. And what's good about having a quiet time? Um, uh, the, well, it, it's a discipline. It's part of a discipline. And of course, it's very good to discipline yourself, to order your life. Um, it saves your prayers from being slapdash. People sometimes say, oh, well, I only ever pray just sort of during the day as circumstances arise. Well, that, that that's very good, as I'll say in a moment. That That's very much part of prayer. But at the same time, a quiet time allows you to order your prayers more, to start thinking more strategically and in an ordered way about certain people and certain events and certain forthcoming things in the church and all this sort of thing. Uh, so having a, a disciplined quiet time will save your prayers from simply being slapdash or just simply personally involved with yourself and also gives you more time to hear from God uh, because a, a prayer time is I think a dialogue with God not just you doing all the talking like any relationship you need to both speak and to listen and having a quiet time as it were a time of quietness enables you to soak up what God might be saying through the scripture how God might be guiding you through sense impressions and so on uh, so look in 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 all those ways a quiet time is a very very good thing to do like basically if I hear a Christian who's saying well, every day I, I spend X amount of time with God before I do anything else. I think, well, good on you. You're making time with God a priority. So is having a quiet time uh, important? Uh, you bet it is. Is it necessary? Well, I you know, I don't know whether I'd sort of say it's necessary. Uh, I'd stop short, perhaps, of saying that if if you don't have a daily quiet time, you must be sinning against God. I, I don't think I'd want to say that. I, I don't think a quiet time should be a sort of law because different people do pray in different ways. And it would be very, very wrong to confine prayer to that 15 minutes or so I use every morning, uh, people might say, well, I'm going to have a time of prayer and now I'm going to move on and get on with the rest of my life. Well, I think prayer is an undercurrent of all our life. Prayer is something you can you can undertake when you're in the train, when you're driving, when you're when you're walking down the street, when you're doing the shopping, when you're conversing with other people. Prayer is an ongoing reality in their lives, not just be confined to a compartment. And I think for some people uh, react against the idea of quiet time because of that. They say, well, prayer is an ongoing thing and conversing and dialoguing with God and being responsive and attentive to God is part of my everyday life, woven into my everyday life. Very, very true. But careful, that doesn't mean that you 
that it doesn't negate the need for a quiet time. Um, to say that prayer should not be confined to a quiet time in the morning is not to say that prayer cannot be engaged with in a quiet time in the morning. I guess if I choose to deliberately spend time with God, I, I should know his thoughts, his ways a little bit better and maybe even have a deeper relationship. Uh, maybe, uh, And that would be reflected in my personality, perhaps, my persona, my my... Yes. The way I relate to other people. If you don't spend a disciplined time with God, whether you call it a quiet time or not, if you don't spend a disciplined time with God, I think you are neglecting him. Because like in any relationship, as you say, uh, a relationship that is of any value will require that you spend time with that other person. Now, give me use the analogy, say, of, of a married couple. Um, married couples need to communicate with one another. But there is two forms of communication in a marriage, I would I would put to you. There's the communication which is, as it were, as you sit and as you walk and as you drive in the car and as you do this and as you do this. In other words, you are conversing with your marriage partner as it were all the time. And that can be very functional or it could be more significant. Uh, but you are conversing all the time. But there are times in that marriage relationship when really you ought to just sit down and have an eyeball to eyeball, a deep and meaningful, what we might call. And I think that's true in our relationship with God. Yes, we talk to him as we're going about our everyday um, tasks. Um, uh, it's not all just deep and meaningful. Uh, it's casual, maybe spontaneous uh, as circumstances arise. But as in a married relationship, there needs to be, I think, that time of greater depth of just greater attentiveness and focus where we sit down and say we need to talk and married couples will sometimes do that we need to talk oh we've been talking we've been talking every day for the last you know every hour of every day for the last few weeks but no there are times when we say we need to talk yeah we need to have this more settled attentive time and i think that's the value of a quiet time that you have that more a deeper attentive time with god i'd make i'd stop short of calling it a law but I do believe it is a very helpful Christian principle to say I'm going to have set times where I'm going to devote myself uh, in, in, in a longer period of time to, to simply hear from God, to be more attentive to him, to focus on some issues with him, as well as the spontaneous, more casual dialogue I might have with him throughout the day. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. You can send us an email with a question, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. Okay, our second question for today. In my church, I expressed some concern about what our minister was teaching. I was told this was wrong as he was a man of God and we must respect his authority. What should I do? Boy, I'd say what you should do in that case is to seriously ask yourself what sort of church situation you're in. That's very troubling if I was hearing that being said. Um, what's, what's this person saying? He's a man of God and I must respect his authority. Uh, therefore, I shouldn't express any concern. Look, I, I think it's very appropriate to challenge teaching. A Bible teacher or minister should not object to it. If someone, if someone questions you or challenges you, you shouldn't object to it. Now, as long as it's done in a polite and courteous and respectful way, of course. But this, 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 this person says that this person's a man of God and we must respect his authority. Well, that doesn't mean to say he's infallible. It doesn't mean to say he, he might, might not be teaching the right thing. I, I think that sort of approach suggests an authoritarian mindset which causes the teacher to be a controller and the listeners to be just passive absorbers of whatever that teacher is saying. And, and, and in that, there lie the seeds for cultic behaviour, uh, for authoritarian and rigid um, 
church uh, life. Uh, I, I'm not saying this particular church situation is going to get to that point, but boy, I, I can see a real danger in there. You see, well, I think one of the fallacies expressed in this question is, or, or what, what this person who's talked to this questioner has said, he's a man of God, fair enough, I wouldn't deny that, and we must respect his authority. Yes, I wouldn't deny that. Those in authority should be respected. But hey, 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 that doesn't mean that you should never question them or challenge them or, or disagree with them. Uh, any Christian teacher who says you must never disagree with me uh, is on a very, very dangerous road. Yeah. And, 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 and that person is really using their, their authority that God has given them in a very wrong way, and they'll be judged very harshly for it. And obviously, uh, the everyday relationship issues come up, come up to play when you're threatening someone, maybe with a question that that threatens their, I guess their uh, status or their authority and stuff. So I guess just be aware when you do ask questions that um to say it politely and all that kind of stuff. Oh yes, yes, because uh, you you can ask questions and challenge teaching in the wrong way, backbiting and gossiping and uh, undermining. That's uh, that that is where I, I would I would certainly say to such a person if you're backbiting and gossiping and undermining, uh, hey, he's a man of God, respect his authority. I would certainly say that. But if the question, as it's phrased, is look, I'm just expressing some concern, or I'm assuming they're expressing the concern in a genuine and humble and godly way, then I think the person concerned, the the Bible teacher is is, is the one who needs to say, well, let's sit down and talk. I might be wrong. She or he who's asking the question might be wrong, or we both might be sort of partly wrong and partly right, which is probably more 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 to the point. Look, I think any wise teacher or pastor will encourage questioning and even disagreement as long as it's respectfully and honestly expressed. Yeah. But whenever we get into a mentality such as is suggested here that, oh, this person's a man of God, we must respect his authority, when that becomes equal to don't question him, I think we're going down a very, very dangerous road because uh, that means that that person in authority is is putting themselves on a pedestal beyond any criticism or challenge, and therein lies the way to very destructive um, leadership patterns. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray. It is our weekly podcast where we discuss life and faith. You know what we're on about Uh, You can always download it from the iTunes store. Just search for Hope Media and then look for the LifeWords Q&A podcast. Also, hope1032.com.au. David, our last question. Now, this uh, is... um, I've heard heard it taught that God wants us to be happy and to have the best. Is it okay to ask God for happiness and for the best in life? I think in short... I think it's okay to ask God for just about anything as long as it's not obviously sinful. Um, Because anyone who loves anyone else desires their happiness. Do I want my children and grandchildren to be happy? Of course I do. Um, It'd be crazy not to. But this side of heaven, it's not always possible. You see, we have to go through pain and hardship to mature, and life this side of heaven is not going to give us constant happiness. So while God may well would love the idea of you and I and all of us being constantly happy, he lives, as it were, in the real world, just as we do, and he says, well, look, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, um, life is not going to work out this way. There is too much pain and suffering in this world for us to be happy all the time. See, if someone says to me, oh, David, I'm, I'm happy all the time, I'd say, um, go and seek help. 
um, you need help. There's something yeah. clinically pathologically wrong with you because no one can be happy all the time in a world like ours, which is marked by sadness and tragedy and setback. Now, don't, don't have to be miserable all the time either. But happiness is is an emotional response to favourable circumstances. And circumstances are not always favourable. God knows that and we ought to know that. And for us to childishly stamp our feet, as it were, and say, God, you've got to make me happy is to ask, I think, this side of heaven for the impossible. Does God want us to be happy? Oh, yes. But if my children say to me, listen here, Dad, you make me happy. You, I, I demand happiness from you. I have to say, well, I'd love to offer that, but I'm sorry. I can't in this world in which we live. Yet uh, the elephant in the room, David, is the fact that there are a lot, more, uh, there are a lot of Christian self-help books in, uh, in bookstores and on television. We've got uh, a lot of preachers now talking about basically they're the anthony robbins of the christian world saying you know you can be the best you can you'll be you'll be the best you can be you know live life with a smile all that kind of approach it's a very consumer very much the now kind of culture that's sort of being preached through pulpits around the place and we're being told that happiness is our right and that we're born to be successful uh, and even John Piper, I was reading, you know, says God wants you to be happy, but he doesn't do it with circumstance. He does it with himself. Yes, uh, I think there's a world of difference between John Piper and some of these other people you're yeah. talking about. Um, Piper would certainly ought to be identified with them. Look, I think a lot of these preachers and teachers you're talking about, these Christian TV personalities, uh, are really sadly, I think, offering something that is illusory. Um, they're, they're basically pandering to a consumerist mindset which says uh, to the people, you want to be happy? All right, God will give you happiness. You want to be rich? Uh, God will give you this and so on and so on. It's one way to draw a crowd. Uh, you can certainly build up a pretty substantial sort of church if you're promising happiness and wealth all the time, happiness, health and wealth and so on. But I think it's a false and seductive promise in the end uh, because, as I say, this side of heaven, constant happiness is not ours to have. And I think what these teachers are doing is to teach a very seductive and yet misleading form of, um, well, you, I guess you still have to call it Christianity, but a sort of Christianity which sees God as the means to an end. It's only one picture of the Christian message. They would be better off saying happiness is great, but also bringing other stuff into their, their messages. In, 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 indeed, a Christian message. Look, if you're part of a Christian church, um, that uh, and that church cannot minister to you in your time of deeper sadness and darkness, you're in the wrong church. Uh, because yes, 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 at the church, I've got no problems with the church presenting a positive image and 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 urging you to seek all the blessings of God uh, in a right and even in a rightly understood term, prosperity, all that sort of thing. But unless the church can actually minister to you in your times of setback and hardship and tragedy, then that is a very dysfunctional church because uh, a church which simply says, be happy, be happy, be happy, and when you're unhappy, well, what's, what's, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with your faith? I think that's a terribly destructive uh, sort of approach. And you see, there, there is this approach. I, I was talking to a, a person many, many years ago now who was showing me around her most beautiful, 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 immaculate house and was pointing out all these wonderful paintings on the wall and all this and all that and she was she was she said to me oh well of course god wants wants me to have the best and so i bought the best and at that time i thought no 
that's quite wrong. It, there's nothing wrong with having beautiful pictures yep. and the latest technology and the newest car and the driver. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with that at all. Um, that, that, that That's fine. I'm not saying we all should go around in hair shirts and be, be poor. But at the same time, to justify this by saying God wants us to have the best. Um, it's a bit like Piper. You talked about John Piper, God wanting us happy. Yes, define happiness. Um Yes, I'm quite prepared to say God wants the best for you, but let him define what's best. Because what we're doing is saying, I want this, I want that, I want that. And because I want it, God must therefore want it, and therefore God will grant it to me. And so we buy this picture, we buy this car, we buy this bit of technology. And instead of just saying more honestly, this is something that I really wanted and I hope I can use it in a wise and good way. Instead of that, we sort of tend to go on with all this religious stuff about, oh, God wants the best for me, uh, therefore he's given this to me. Well, I think that can just be a cloak for just simply greedy materialism. God wants the best for us? Indeed he does. Let him define what's best. Does God want us to be happy? Yes, but let him define how and where and when he will grant us that happiness on the understanding that this side of heaven, constant eternal happiness is not possible as long as it's based on circumstance. Perhaps we should really differentiate happiness and joy. Happiness is a an emotional response to variable circumstances, uh, and because circumstances aren't always good, we can't always be happy. But joy is a glad confidence in the goodness of God. And so therefore, the Bible says we can always be joyful, can't always be happy. See, so just give, give you a little silly illustration, as it were, um, you get an adorable little baby kitten from the pet shop. You are happy. The kitten gets sick. You are unhappy. Uh, you take the kitten to the vet. The vet fixes the kitten up. You're happy again. The vet sends you the bill. You're unhappy. <laughs> See what I mean? Up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. Happiness is always dependent on circumstances, so it will be variable. Joy is always dependent upon the goodness of God, which is invariable, and so therefore can be constant. So I think rather than having us say God wants us to be always happy, God wants us to be always joyful, and that joy is not to be found in external circumstances, but rather in the character of God, which is, I think, what John Piper was aiming at. Yeah. I think a, a really good book, if you want to read something about, uh, and it's not, I don't even think it's from a Christian author, Hugh Mackay, social researcher in Australia, has written a, a really great book called The Good Life, which was published last year. If you go to a library or purchase it, it he does address happiness as just one of many emotions and that joy is something that you would want to strive after. Also, uh, Mark Sayers' book on trouble in Paris really is an eye-opener, David, about uh, the hyper-reality that we live in, the culture of uh, media and saturated advertising in which, you know, a consumer mentality, it's all about me as an individual, what I want and what I need. The the message of much of our, our materialistic age is you can have it all. And I think Christians have got to stand against that and say, no, we might not be able to have it all. Ask God for all the blessings he's prepared to give. But if we're just simply going to say, we can have it all, and I'm going to use God to help me pursue that, then I think we've uh, gone into idolatry. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A. Thank you, David, for joining us. We'll join you uh, next week when we tackle more questions as part of LifeWords Q&A. Have a great week. And again, download previous episodes to uh, get some more questions into you and answers. This is LifeWords Q&A. See you. Bye-bye.